0: Alright. Cornro Kenny, he was born with the vision all morning with the mixed dashboard, triple digit parallel, parked like an alien, came visit. Slideshow for the nice show, 10 bitches. Fine hoes with the blindfold, King Kendrick. So many plays on me, I finesse Palisade views with some sex I lost a lot of love for missionaries This the first time I confess Me and Top is like a Kobe and Phil A father figure, fuck with him, you get killed Fuck with me and he'll kill you yourself TDE, the mafia of the West Moving silence, yeah, we jugging like that Act of violence, yeah, we jugging like that I did a lot of dumb shit in my past Lord, forgive me, hoping I don't relapse Dave just bought a new 9 Almost thought I'd seen another plane crash Q just bought a brand new machine. McLaren, Rock a Lock, about to buy the projects. Musa got his son dripping in gold. Ali about to let his hair down on hoes. Me, I'm about to let my hair down on hoes. Top Billin, that's a million a show. Might blow the when me on so. Might tell Obama be more like Punch. Soundwave caught a Grammy last year. Mac Watt, better do what he want. Fuck you. Level 2 I'm not done 2 Ts told me that I'm the one I could put a rapper on life support Guarantee that's something none of you want 10 homies down and they all serving life What is like 2500 a month? What if I empty my bank out and stun? What if I certified all of these ones? Bitch I get fuck i as real as it come Shit is amazing I'm feeding my cravings You know that you want me Come here now little baby I'm fucking I'm crazy You're Serving it like I belong in the basement Or live at the daisin Yeah yeah my relative black cherry so pistols and poverty come get to know us Ooh, okay that's the last take this is an exercise of memory and I'm gonna do a little bit of exam but I had to get that in the beginning you are migrating five on-premises SQL server databases to Azure each database is deployed on a different on-premises virtual machine and you have the following usage pattern bullet point one the on-premises machine require a total computing capacity of 16 CPU cores during peak usage. Bullet point 2. The average CPU usage of each database outside peak usage is 2 CPU cores. Bullet point 3. The peak usage of each database is predictable. Bullet point 4. The the databases make use of different file groups to optimize the archival process of old data. You should consider the following requirements for migrating these databases. 1. The target solution should meet the current usage pattern. 2. The target solution must support multiple database file groups. 3. You should... Minimize administrative effort and overall solution costs without affecting performance. You need to recommend the best SQL database solution that meets these requirements. Which database solution should you recommend? The answer is Azure SQL Managed Instance Pool. You should use an Azure Azure SQL Managed Instance Pool. You can use Azure SQL Managed Instance Pool to consolidate multiple databases in the same virtual machine, optimizing costs and the solution performance. Each instance that is part of the Managed Instance Pool can have a minimum of two vCores, one of our earlier bullet points. And scaling the instance happens really fast because all the resources are pre-allocated on the virtual machine pool as compared to the Azure SQL managed instance offering. You can also minimize administrative effort because it is a platform as a service, P-A-A-S offering, related to one of our bullet points as well. Minimize administrative effort using the Azure SQL managed instance pool. You should not use an Azure SQL Database Elastic Pool. You can use an Azure SQL Database Elastic Pool to consolidate the compute capacity of multiple databases in a single place, optimizing cost and solution performance. However, you cannot define multiple database file groups, which is a requirement for this migration. You should not use SQL Server on Azure VMs with always-on availability groups. Even though this offering can meet most of the requirements, managing an infrastructure-as-a-service, IaaS, increases the administrative effort compared with an Azure SQL managed instance pool, which is considered a -A -A PaaS offering. You should not use the Azure SQL database serverless tier. You can use the serverless tier for workloads with unpredictable usage and long idle usage periods to save costs. Azure SQL database does not support using multiple database file groups. So overall, we are using the managed instance pool, which allows us to support multiple database file groups as well as platform as a service to help with administrative effort. Next question. You manage an on-premise SQL Server 2019 database. You need to create a new database for a line of business LOB application. The database was initially configured as shown in the exhibit. This one may be a little tough to talk about. You plan to use intelligent query processing features like batch mode adaptive joins to improve workload performance. What should you change in the database configuration in order to use IQP, intelligent query processing? The answer is to change the compatibility level to 140 explanation you should change the compatibility level to 140 intelligent query processing iqp is a feature that was introduced in sql server 2017 and it receives new features in each release to use most of the iqp features you need to set the compatibility level at 140 or higher the only exception is approximate percentile which is available from SQL Server 2022 and which needs a compatibility level to be set to 110 or higher. You should not enable auto-update statistics. The SQL Server Query Optimizer uses statistics to create efficient query plans. Updating the statistics helps the Query Optimizer to create more efficient query plans over time to consider changes to the distribution of the values within the table. It is recommended that you leave auto statistics enabled, but it is not a requirement to use IQP, Intelligent Query Processing. You should not enable auto shrink. You can use auto shrink To reduce the disk size of data and log files if they are no longer used by the database engine, auto-shrink is not a requirement to use IQP. You should not set the recovery model to full. You can use the recovery model to define how the database engine will log transactions and which backup or restore modes are available to the database, Setting the recovery model to full is not a requirement to use IQP. Overall, as a summary, you plan to use intelligent query processing features, you need to set the compatibility level to 140. Next question Sales data is an on-premises SQL server on a virtual machine instance database. The database uses the full recovery model. You configure scheduled backup jobs using the Transact SQL Backup command. Backups run on the following schedule. Bullet point one. Full backup overnight on Saturday. Bullet point two. Differential backups at 6 a.m. daily, Monday, through friday bullet point three transaction log backups every 15 minutes a hardware failure that occurs at noon on a wednesday results in the loss of the database you fix the failure and need to recover the database up to the last transaction log backup before the failure which three actions should you perform in sequence Answer, step one, restore the most recent full backup. Step two, restore the differential backup from Wednesday morning. Step three, restore all transaction log backups made after the most recent differential backup. Explanation. You need to start with the most recent full backup. This is your baseline point for recovery. A differential backup backs up all changes made since the most recent full backup and removes committed transactions from the transaction log. The differential backup made on Wednesday includes all changes made from Saturday night to 6 a.m. on Wednesday. Thus, you only need to restore that one differential backup. It is only necessary to restore transaction log backups made after the differential backup on Wednesday morning. You need to restore all transaction log backups from that point up to the last transaction log backup made before the failure. Transaction log backups from before the differential backup should be ignored. You should not restore all transaction log backups since the most recent full backup, sorry, not my best, (laughs) the latest differential backup covers the majority of this time period and should be used instead. You should not restore the most recent transaction log backup. Attempting to do so will result in the database that will be in inconsistent state, or a database that misses transactions made on Wednesday from 6 a.m. to approximately 11.45 a.m. Overall summary. Restore the most recent full backup. Restore the differential backup from Wednesday morning. Restore all transaction log backups made after the most recent differential backup. Next question. Okay. Your on-premises data center includes a Microsoft SQL Server 2008 R2 instance. You want to migrate to SQL Server on an Azure Azure Virtual Machine instance. The destination VM is running SQL Server 2019. You plan to use Data Migration Assistant, DMA, to perform the migration. The upgrade to the new SQL Server version should take place as part of the migration. For each of the following statements, select Yes if the statement is true, otherwise select No. The following statements are true. You can use TLS encryption to protect data transfer during migration. DMA will identify any potential compatibility issues. You should create the target service instance before creating the migration project. The following statements are false. The migration can run as an online or offline migration. Explanation The DMA migration can run as an offline migration only. DMA does not support online migration. The database, which is being migrated, will be unavailable once migration starts, and it cannot be made available until migration is complete. Online migrations are supported by other migration methods, including Azure Database Migration Services, DMS. You can use TLS encryption to protect data transfer during migration. Microsoft recommends encrypting data communication for both source and target instances using TLS during migration, unless all traffic is staying within a secure intranet. You risk data being intercepted and stolen or modified during transmission if it is not encrypted. Enabling TLS encryption on either the source or destination instances, or both, requires additional server configuration within the SQL Server instances. DMA will identify any potential compatibility issues in its assessment mode. DMA checks the source database for potential migration blockers and compatibility issues that can prevent successful migration. DMA also detects partially supported or deprecated features that are used by the source. After running DMA in assessment mode and resolving issues, you can run it in migration mode to complete the migration you should create the target service instance before creating the migration project. You must identify both the source and destination databases when creating a new migration project. If the target VM does not exist yet, or if SQL Server is not installed, there you would be unable to complete the migration. DMA does not create VMs or install SQL Server instances It only migrates database level functionality. So as a summary, DMA stands for Data Migration Assistant. The DMA will identify any potential compatibility issues. You can use the TLS encryption to protect data transfer during migration. And you should create the target service instance before creating the migration project. That one makes sense. Next question. You administer multiple Azure SQL databases for a multi-tenant application. All databases use a logical Azure SQL Server named Server 1. Each customer for this application has a separate database and the customer can access their database directly through the public network. For security reasons, customers should not be able to access other customers' databases at the network level. One customer hires an external partner to train a machine learning model using the data in their database. After an initial meeting with the partner development team, you configure and grant all the necessary access to the developers. One of the external partner developers, who works remotely, subsequently reports that they are not able to connect to the database anymore. The other developers that work in the partner office can still connect to the database. You need to help the remote developer, Brian, to reconnect to the database. What should you do? Correct answer? Add the remote developer's IP to the database level Firewall. Explanation. Sorry. You should add the remote developer's IP to the database level firewall. Due to the network restriction for each customer having access to their own database, you need to configure the database level firewall with the allowed IPs that you can connect to each database. After the initial meeting, you would have added the partner's office IP, but you did not anticipate that the remote developer would access the database from a different IP. You should not add the remote developer's IP to the server level firewall. This would allow the remote developer to have network access to all databases in Server 1 instead of just the customer database. You should not configure the database server to use Azure Private Link. You can use Azure Private Link to configure a private network that sorry, you should use Azure Private Link to configure a private network connection to Azure SQL databases that are part of the Azure SQL server. In this scenario, the customer can access their own databases directly through the public network. You should not create a new login in the master database for the remote developer. You can create a new login if you are onboarding a new developer so they can have access to the database. However, creating a new login will not resolve the network access issue for the remote developer. If you use Azure Synapse SQL pools, database-level firewall rules are not supported. You can only use server-level firewall rules or other Azure network-related features such as Azure Private Link and Network Security network security groups to secure the Azure Synapse SQL Pool's network layer. Overall, the intention is to add the remote developer's IP to the database-level firewall, and we do not want to give them server access since that will give them access to all databases. Next question. Oh, man. You manage an Azure SQL database named Data1. You add a SQL login and a database user to Data1 and name them both User10. You need to enable... Man, I hate these Microsoft questions. You need to enable User10 to create new databases on the Azure SQL database server that hosts Data1. Which role should you add User10 to? Correct answer... DB manager. You should add user 10 to the DB manager role. This is a special fixed role that is supported by Azure SQL database and Azure Synapse only. Members of this role can create and delete databases. The user creating the database becomes the database owner and they have all database permissions to the database. You should not add user 10 to the DB owner role. This grants the user the permission to perform all configuration and maintenance activities on the database. It does not grant the user permissions necessary to create new databases. You should not add user 10 to the sysadmin or dbcreator role. These are fixed server level roles and they are not supported on Azure SQL database. They are supported with on premises SQL Server instances, SQL Server or an azure virtual machine or azure sql managed instance summary of this question apply the db manager role to user 10 in order to create new databases next question several databases are deployed on a sql server On an Azure virtual machine, including a database named MySQL 2. A database administrator made several database configuration changes that override the server configuration settings. You need to retrieve a list of database configurations that override server configuration settings. Which catalog view should you query? Correct answer, Sys dot database underscore scoped underscore configurations. Explanation. You should query the SysDatabaseScopedConfiguration Scoped Configuration Catalog view to retrieve the required list of database configurations. Database configuration settings that override server configuration settings are referred to as database scoped configuration settings these refer to options such as collection of execution statistics and query optimization hotfixes these settings are configured through the alter database scoped configuration transact sql command you should not query the sys.databases catalog view this view returns one row for each database instance on the server with database information the view does not return Database scoped configuration information, however. You should not query the sys database automatic tuning options catalog view. This view returns the current status of the automatic tuning options. Most settings are configured at the level of the server. You should not query the sys configurations catalog view. This view returns server wide configuration options. The summary of this question, use the Sys database scoped configurations in order to retrieve a list of database configurations that override server configuration settings. Next question. Your company contracts an outside consultant to audit the company's data security. The consultant finds an Azure SQL managed instance database that is not encrypted at rest. Other databases attached to the same server are encrypted using a server-managed certificate, service-managed certificate. You need to... Ah. (laughs) You need to enable transparent data encryption, TDE, for the database. What should you use? Correct answer, T-SQL command explanation. You should use the T-SQL alter database command. You would run this command with the set encryption parameter set to on. This will encrypt the database using the existing server service managed certificate. The service managed certificate is automatically created by the Azure platform for each server and uses AES-256 encryption. You should not use Azure Portal GUI. You can use Azure Portal GUI to enable or disable TDE on database hosted in Azure SQL database service. This capability is not supported for Azure SQL managed instance databases. You could enable TDE using the Azure portal by creating and then running a SQL script using the Cloud Shell feature. However, this is not a GUI option. You should not use SQL Server Management Studio, SSMS GUI. SSMS is an integrated management environment that lets you manage SQL infrastructure. SSMS includes a variety of GUI capabilities, but these do not include an option for enabling and disabling TDE. You could enable TDE using SSMS by creating and running a SQL script. However, that is not a GUI option. You should not use Azure Key Vault. Azure Key Vault can be used to create and store certificates, but cannot be used to enable TDE or directly encrypt a database. The summary of this question, use the T-SQL in order to support transparent data encryption, TDE for the database. Both GUIs are not supported in setting TDE up. Next question, you are implementing a high availability HA strategy for an Azure SQL database database. Your solution must, bullet point one, replicate the database to a separate Azure region. Bullet point two, support automatic failover based on a user defined policy. Bullet point three, Allow for manually initiated failover. Bullet point four. Support client application connections after failover without changing connection strings. You need to recommend an appropriate HA high availability solution. Answer. You should recommend configuring an auto failover group. explanation. You should recommend configuring an auto failover group. This is the only solution that meets all of the scenario's requirements. Auto failover groups support replication between regions with support for both automatic and manual failover. Client connections are not interrupted by failover, and there is no reason to change client connection strings. Active geo-replication provides for replication between regions but it does not support automatic failover based on a user-defined policy. It also does not support client application connections after failover without changing connection strings. Zone-redundant configuration does not provide replication between regions. It provides replication between multiple physical data centers within the same Azure region. Each separate data center is called an availability zone. Log shipping does not meet the high availability solution requirements because it requires SQL Server rather than Azure SQL Database. Log shipping automatically sends transaction log backups from a primary database to one or more secondary databases. The primary and secondary databases can be hosted on different server instances. The summary to this question, when implementing a high-availability strategy for Azure, lean towards using auto-failover group, especially in situations where we need to replicate the database to a separate Azure region. Support automatic failover based on a user-defined policy. Allow for manually initiated failover and support client application connections after failover without changing connection strings. Oh man, this is a lot, but I'm getting better at it. That's for sure. It's snowing outside. <clears throat> Next question. You want to use Azure Database Manage You want to use Azure Database Migration Service, Azure DMS to migrate an on-premises Microsoft SQL Server 2016 database to Azure SQL Database. You plan to run the migration as an offline migration. You have already created the Azure SQL Database instance as your destination. You need to ensure that the credentials used at the source SQL Server instance and destination database have sufficient permissions to support the migration. Your solution should use the principle of least privilege. What two permissions should you grant? Each correct answer presents part of the solution. Correct answer. Control database permission on the target database. Control server permission on the source SQL server instance explanation you should grant the control server permission on the source SQL server instance this is a prerequisite that is required by Azure database migration service Azure DMS when the source system for the migration is a SQL server instance You should grant the control database permission on the target database. Using the principle of least privilege means granting only those permissions which are required to accomplish a task. Control database is the minimum permission required by Azure DMS when the target system for the migration is Azure SQL database. You should not grant the control database permission on the source database this would not provide sufficient permissions at source to complete the migration. The migration would fail to complete as permissions at the source are insufficient. You should not grant the control server permission on the target instance. Although this permission is supported for SQL Server instances, the target instance is Azure SQL Database and it does not support this permission. Summary to this question, Use the control database permission on the target database. Control server permission on the source SQL server instance. All right, going to take a break. All right, had a little break for some water and a snack. It's always good to take a break when you're studying. Let's resume. Next question. Your company is launching an online sales application. The application will give customers the option of saving their credit card information so that it is available for subsequent purchases. Data must be stored on a service from the Azure SQL portfolio and it must be encrypted at rest and in transit. The data should be decrypted for processing by client applications only. The encryption should be as secure as possible. And, database administrators should not be able to decrypt the data. You need to choose an appropriate encryption option. What should you implement? Answer, always encrypted. Explanation You should implement Always Encrypted. You can use Always Encrypted to encrypt the data in select columns. The data is only decrypted for processing by client applications with access to the encryption key. Database administrators and other privileged users cannot decrypt the data. The master encryption key is not stored with the database or server. It must be stored externally, such as in an Azure Key Vault a hardware security module, or the Windows Certificate Store. You should not implement column-level encryption, CLE, also known as SOW-level encryption. CLE provides encryption at rest, but does not provide for encryption in transit. It also does not prevent database administrators from decrypting data. You should not implement transparent data encryption, TDE. TDE is used to encrypt a database at rest and applies to the database as a whole. It does not provide encryption in transit. Databases created with Azure SQL Database or Azure SQL Managed Instances after 2017 have TDE enabled by default you should not implement transport layer security tls tls is used to protect data in transit as a way of preventing data from being intercepted and then stolen or modified tls does not impact at rest encryption the summary of that one is to of that question is to select always encrypted Some of the reasons that we want to consider are the fact that it can be encrypted at rest and in transit. We also have it outside of the server and database, and the database administrator should not be able and cannot decrypt the data when we use always encrypted. Next question. You want to set up alerts for an Azure SQL managed instance in the Azure portal with alert triggers based on metric values. Alerts should trigger when a specified metric threshold is crossed in either direction. The alerts should use Azure Monitor technology. You need to identify the Azure SQL managed instance metrics that are supported for setting up alerts using this mechanism. Which three metrics are supported for alert configuration? Each correct answer presents a complete solution. Correct answers. Maximum storage space used by the instance and database. Average percentage of CPU utilization. Average IO bytes read. Explanation. You can define these metrics for the alert configuration using the Azure Monitor technology in the Azure portal on Azure SQL Managed Instances. Bullet point one. Average percentage of CPU utilization. Bullet point two. Maximum storage space used by the instance and databases. Bullet point three. Average IO bytes read. The full set of metrics that are supported using this approach are 1. Average CPU Percentage 2. IO Bytes Read 3. IO Bytes Written 4. IO Requests Count 5. Storage Space Reserved 6. Storage Space Used 7. Virtual Core Count Each supported metric can have a user-defined aggregation type. Aggregation types are minimum, maximum, or average. The alerts are defined at the instance levels rather than at the individual database level. The alert rules are defined via the metrics menu in the monitoring blade of the Azure portal. You should not define maximum CPU utilization, average memory utilization, or maximum memory utilization alerts for Azure SQL managed instance in the Azure portal using the Azure monitor technology. You can use other technologies such as SQL server agent alerts to alert based on those metrics. Such alerts can be set up via SQL server management studio or via SQL code instead of in the Azure portal. So as a summary to that question, since we are viewing Azure SQL managed instance metrics that are supported for setting up alerts, using the Azure portal, we need to use the following three that support the Azure monitor technology. Average memory utilization, maximum storage space used by the instance and database, average percentage of CPU utilization. Oh, I got that one a little wrong, I apologize. The first one, average memory utilization should not be used. It should be average IO bytes read. I'll probably get that question right on the test because I messed it up here. Next question. Your company database resources include multiple Azure SQL database, single databases, and on-premises SQL server instances Hosting multiple databases. Specific data on the databases must be kept up to date and maintained between the Azure and on-premises databases. You need to ensure that bi-directional updates occur across the databases. What should you configure? Correct answer, SQL Data Sync. Explanation. You should configure SQL DataSync. SQL DataSync allows you to set up data synchronization updates between multiple database instances, including both Azure and on-premises databases. DataSync is configured in a hub and spoke. Data Sync is configured in a hub and spoke configuration and updates are sent between the hub and each of the me- member servers. Data sync can be configured to support bi-directional synchronization. You should not configure SQL database sharding. Sharding is a, is a means for partitioning database data across multiple servers. Database sharding is supported for Azure SQL database only. You should not configure active geo-replication replication allows you to create and maintain secondary servers that are kept in sync with a primary server through a synchronous replication. Synchronization is in one direction only from the primary database to the secondary, and on-premises database instances are not supported. You should not configure a SQL database elastic pool. <clears throat> With an Elastic Pool, you have multiple databases deployed on the same Azure SQL database server. Each database maintains its own unique dataset. The Elastic Pool enables the datasets to scale automatically to share configured compute resources. In summary, use SQL Data Sync to ensure that bi directional updates occur across the databases. Next question, you are planning to upgrade an older version of SQL Server to SQL Server 2014 12.x. The newer version will be running in an Azure VM. The upgrade process must not have a negative impact on query performance. You need to recommend a solution. Which solution should you recommend? Correct answer. Upgrade SQL Server by changing the DB compatibility level to source. Enable Query Store after the upgrade. Create a stable baseline. And then set the DB compatibility level to SQL Server 2014 12.x. Explanation. You should upgrade SQL Server by changing the database DB compatibility level to source. Enable Query Store. Create a stable baseline. And then set db compatibility level to SQL Server 2014. Since SQL Server 2014, all query optimizer changes have become tied to the latest db compatibility level. Hence, you should change the db compatibility level to source, then enable query store, and wait to collect data on the workload. This is referred to as creating the baseline. Once the baseline is created, you should set the DB compatibility level to latest and then, based on the regressions observed, you can proceed to fix any query performance issues or degradations by forcing the last known good plan. There's a lot in this ex- There's a lot in this explanation. I'm going only going to read one more. You should not enable Query Store before the upgrade. Upgrading Query Store before setting the DB compatibility level as a source will render the upgrade of Query Store useless because the required stable baseline will not be created effectively. You should upgrade the latest SQL Server and keep the DB compatibility level as source. Only then should you enable the Query Store, create a stable baseline, and then set a Set the DB compatibility level to SQL Server 2014. Then, based on the regression observed, you can fix any query performance issues or degradations by forcing the last known good plan. This question seems pretty set in stone. It is about setting the baseline. As we said earlier, you should change the DB compatibility level to source, then enable query store, and wait to collect data on the workload. That is the definition of creating the baseline. Next question. You plan to move a SQL Server 2019 instance from an on-premises server to Azure SQL managed instance, Azure SQL MI. You currently use SQL Server agent jobs to automate regular management tasks you need to identify the changes that you need to make when moving the instance to Azure SQL Managed Instance. For each of the following statements, select yes if the statement is true. Otherwise, select no. The following statements are true. One, database mail profiles should be limited to Azure Managed managed Instance underscore dbmail underscore profile only. Number two, jobs cannot be scheduled to start when SQL Server Agent is started. The following statements are false. One, supported notification types include email, pager, NetSend, proxies, and alerts. Explanation. You should limit database mail profiles to Azure Managed Instance underscore DBmail underscore profile only. Database mail is enabled on Azure SQL Managed Instance, so there is no need to enable database mail as a prerequisite. On Azure SQL Managed Instance, you are limited to that one profile, whereas on SQL Server, you can create multiple profiles. Notifications are limited to email notifications only. Pager, NetSend, proxies, and alert notifications are not supported on Azure SQL Managed Instance. They are only supported on SQL Server. Jobs cannot be scheduled to start when SQL Server Agent is started. SQL Server Agent is always running on Azure SQL Managed Instance, and it cannot be disabled. In addition, you cannot trigger job, jobs based on an idle central processing unit. Jobs in Azure SQL Managed Instance can be triggered based on calendar schedules. Next question. Your company plans to deploy a database to support a Software as a Service (SaaS) application you consider using an Azure SQL-managed instance to host the application database. The database is projected to eventually grow up to 2 terabytes. Access to the database should be controlled through both SQL authentication and Azure Active Directory authentication. Data must be encrypted in transit during data reads and writes. Access to sensitive data should be protected in order to ensure that only limited content is available to unauthorized users. You need to determine if and how these requirements can be met through an Azure SQL managed instance. For each of the following statements, select yes if the statement is true, otherwise select no. The following statements are true. Azure SQL Managed Instance supports SQL Authentication and Azure Active Directory Authentication. Dynamic data masking can be used to limit access to sensitive data. The following statements are false. Transparent Data Encryption provides encryption for data in transit. I think we all know it's at rest by this point. Explanation. Azure SQL Managed Instance supports SQL authentication and Azure Active Directory authentication. Azure AD, Active Directory provides a way for administrators to centrally manage database user identities and permissions. SQL authentication is ideal for legacy applications that are being migrated from SQL Server and that need to continue to use local identities. A third authentication mechanism, Windows authentication for Azure AD Principles, has recently been introduced and is currently in preview. Transparent Data Encryption, TDE, provides encryption for data at rest, not for data in transit. Data in transit encryption is supported through transport layer security, TLS. When TLS is enabled, all data in transit between the client and the Azure SQL managed Instance server is encrypted. Dynamic data masking can be used to limit access to sensitive data. Dynamic data masking works by Obfuscating the data displayed so that only a portion of the actual data is displayed. This obfuscation, why did Microsoft throw that word in there? This obfuscation is only applied for users who are unauthorized to see the sensitive data. Sensitive data continues to be displayed for authorized users such as database administrators. I think we're learning. Next question. You are designing a high availability and disaster recovery HADR solution for SQL Server running on Azure virtual machines. You are using Windows Server failover clustering with SQL Server on Windows Server 2016. You need to implement the best practices for the HADR solution. Which four actions should you perform? Each correct answer Presents part of the solution. Answer Here are the following four actions 1. Configure cross subnet threshold 40 heartbeats. 2. Configure same subnet delay 1 second. 3. Configure cluster quorum voting to use three or more odd number of votes. 4. Deploy your SQL Server VMs to multiple subnets whenever possible. Explanation: In this use case scenario, you are using Windows Server 2016 for Windows Server failover clustering with SQL Server. You should use the following four best practices for the HADR solution on Windows Server 2016. One, deploy your SQL Server VMs to multiple subnets whenever possible is correct. This allows you to avoid the dependency on an Azure load balancer or a distributed distributed network name (DNN) to route traffic to your HADR solution. Two. Configure Same Subnet Delay 1 second. Since you are using Windows Server 2016, you need to use less aggressive parameters for cluster settings. This allows you to avoid any unexpected outages from transient network failures. Configure Same Subnet Delay 1 second is a correct setting for Windows Server 2016. I will repeat that one more time for my own sanity. Configure Same Subnet Delay one second, is a correct setting for Windows Server 2016. Three, configure cross-subnet threshold 40 heartbeats is a correct setting for Windows Server 2016. Four, configure cluster quorum voting to use three or more odd number of votes. You should not configure same subnet thresholds 10 heartbeats. 10 heartbeats would be too aggressive on Windows Server 2016 since the lower number since the lower the number the more aggressive it is. Then 1 is more aggressive than 5 and 10 is more aggressive than 40. Thank you Microsoft. Therefore, for Windows Server 2016, same subnet threshold should be 40 heartbeats. You should not configure cross subnet delay 0.01 or 0.1 milliseconds. This should be cross net subdelay one second on Windows Server 2016. You should not use two NICs per cluster node. You should always use a single NIC per cluster node. NIC network instance. That's a horrible question, and I've never seen any of this in my years of data warehousing. Next question, you deployed a new Azure SQL managed instance. The instance supports a new application that recently went live. You plan to closely monitor several aspects of the instance during this initial deployment. You need to configure Azure Monitor alerts for these metrics. One, average CPU usage percentage. Two, maximum storage space used for the instance and the database it hosts. What should you use to create these alerts? Answer: Azure Portal. Explanation. You should use Azure Portal. The metrics blade for the Azure SQL Managed Instance resource in the Azure Portal lets you configure metric alerts. Alternatively, you can also configure the alerts from the main Azure Monitor blade in the Azure Portal. Alerts are configured at the Azure SQL Managed Instance resource level and apply to all databases hosted within the instance. Both metric types listed in this scenario are supported for Azure SQL Managed Instance resource. You should not use the SP underscore add underscore alert system stored procedure. This system stored procedure is used to create alerts using SQL's secret... (laughs) SQL Server Agent Technology in SQL Server. It does not create Azure Monitor alerts for Azure SQL Managed Instance Resources. You should not use SQL Server man- Management SSMS. SSMS is an integrated environment designated to let you manage your Microsoft SQL infrastructure, including on-premises and Azure-based database resources. We all know what a SSMS is, I don't know why I said that. SSMS can be used to configure SQL Server Agent Alerts for Azure SQL Managed Instance resources. The requirements in the scenario is to use a different alerting technology, which is Azure Monitor. You should not use Alter Database. Alter Database is the primary T SQL command for modifying database configuration. You would use it to change database properties such as database name collation and file groups. You cannot use this t man- command to manage Azure Monitor alerts. The summary of this, since we are looking at Azure Monitor alerts, we need to use the Azure portal. Next question. You use custom database roles to manage database object permissions assigned in the on-premises SQL Server 2019 database named DB1. You need to review the permissions assigned to a custom database role. What should you use? Answer. Use SP underscore help protect underscore system stored procedure. Explanation. You should use the SP Help Protect System Stored Procedure. This procedure returns a report on the permissions assigned to an object or role. You should not use SP Help Role. This returns information about the roles in the current database, including the role name, role ID, and whether the role is an app role. You should not use SP Help Role Member. This returns information about the members of a role in the current database. It does not return any information about permissions. You should not use the alter role tSQL command. The alter role command lets you add or remove members to or from a database role or change the name of a user-defined database role. It has no control over the permissions assigned to a role. You should not use the grant tSQL command. The grant command is used to grant permission on SQL Server objects to security principles, however, it does not provide a way to see what permissions have been granted. The summary of that is to use sp-help-protect in order to see permissions assigned to a custom database role. Next question. You have an Azure SQL database resource that includes a table named Sales History, which contains over 10 billion rows. The table is part of a data warehouse and is updated with new data each month. Once data has been uploaded to the table, it cannot be modified or deleted. You created the table as a clustered column store index. The data is used for online analytic processing and business intelligence applications. Analysis is run on an intermittent basis and it is not time sensitive. You want to keep the overall database size as small as possible. You need to apply compression to sales history to make it as small as possible. Which type of compression should you use? Answer. Column store archival compression. Explanation. You should use Column Store Archival Compression. Column Store Compression is applied automatically on Column Store Tables and Indexes. Additional compression can be achieved by applying Column Store Archival Compression, which is available as an option for Column Store Tables and Indexes only. Column store archival compression produces better compression ratios which meet the scenario requirement of making the sales history table as small as possible. The downside of column store archival compression compared to column store compression is that column store archival compression uses more CPU and it takes longer to compress and decompress the data. Column store tables and indexes store data using a columnar data format rather than the traditional row store format. You should not use row or page compression. Row and page compression are used with traditional row store tables. They are not supported on column store tables or indexes. The the sales history table referenced in this scenario is a column store tabled clustered index. Next question. (sighs) Man, I'm going to lose my voice. Your company has a single on-premises Microsoft SQL Server 2019 instance named SQL1. The instance has two databases named DB1 and DB2. Each database contains approximately 2 terabytes of data. You plan to use Azure Database Migration Services, Azure DMS, to migrate the the databases to an Azure SQL-managed instance. You want migration to run as quickly as possible and with minimal downtime. You need to choose an appropriate Azure DMS pricing tier to run the migration. Costs related to the migration should be kept to a minimum. Which pricing tier should you choose? Answer: Premium 4vCore Explanation: You should use the Premium 4vCore option. You should run an online migration to meet the scenario requirements. The Premium 4vCore option is the only DMS pricing tier that supports online migration. It also supports faster migration speeds than standard pricing tier options. There is an hourly charge for this option. You should not choose any of the standard vCore options. These pricing tiers support offline migration only. Standard pricing tier options are provided at no additional cost. The summary of this question is related to the fact that we need to use premium, and that is also because we need to have it the migration run as quickly as possible with minimal do- downtime, meaning it needs to be online. Since standard is offline, we should not use standard. Uh, man. Not even gonna do that one. Next question. You are deploying a new SQL server on Azure VM databases for a production workload. You have created the Azure VM with multiple disks as shown in the exhibit. Within the exhibit, we see four disk names, four types, four caching policies. I will read the exhibit starting with the first row left to right. OS Disk C. Type Premium SSD. Caching policy, read-write. Ephemeral. Ephemeral? I'm just going to say ephemeral. Ephemeral, type, local temporary disk. Caching policy, not available. Disk 1, type, premium SSD. Caching policy, none. Disk 2G, type, premium SSD. Caching policy, read-only. You plan to configure the storage for this database. You need to use the best available disk for each file type, optimizing for performance. Which disk should you use to store each file? Answer: For data files, disk 2G. For transaction logs, disk 1F. For temp DB, efe- I'm butchering this. F- ephemeral ephemeral, ephemeral, ephemeral. Explanation. For production workload running in SQL Server on Azure VMs, the way in which you design the disks used for the SQL Server database dramatically impacts the performance. You should aim to use a premium SSD disk or ultra disk, depending on your latency requirements, and use the appropriate caching policy. You should use disk 2G for storage of data files. You can use a disk with a read-only caching policy for the data files to optimize the I.O. operations per second for reading queries. You should use disk1f for the storage of log files. The log data holds the transaction logs and it is recommended to store it on a standalone disk with the caching policy set to none. There is no performance benefit to enabling caching for log storage, it is even possible it is even possible to degrade the performance of the writes against the disk, negatively impacting the performance when caching is enabled. You should use ephemeral for the storage of tempdb files. You can use the local temporary disk available in Azure VMs for tempdb disk. This disk is based on the local SSD disk, which is ideal for cases where long-term persistence is not important. If the Azure VM is restarted, all data in the local temporary disk is lost, but this is not a problem for the tempdb file. You should not use OS disk C. You should not use the operating system disk to store data files, log files, or error logs for SQL server in production environments. That one's a little tricky. We'll have to review that in the future. Next question. User role is a custom role in the database named MyDB1 in Azure SQL Database. You need to assign database permissions to role members. Which T-SQL command should you use? Answer, grant. Explanation You should use the grant t-sql command to assign permissions on SQL Server objects, including databases to security principles. This includes database users and custom roles. In addition, you can use the revoke command to remove permissions and the deny command to block permissions. Denied permissions take precedence over granted permissions. You should not use the alter role command. The alter role command lets you add or remove members to or from a database role or change the name of a user-defined database role. It has no control over the permissions assigned to a role. You should not use the create role command. The create role command lets you create a role, but it does not let you modify the role after it is created. You should not use the alter authorization command. This command is used to change the ownership of a server object, including custom security roles. Next question. You use Azure AD authentication to connect with Azure SQL Database, however, you do not find the Azure SQL Database application in the Azure AD portal. On diagnosis, you find that Azure SQL DB is not part of the tenant. You need to complete the code to troubleshoot the issue. Which PowerShell commandlet should you use? Answer, new-AzureADServicePrincipal. This commandlet creates a new service principle. A service principle is created in each tenant where an application is used, and the service principle references the globally unique app object. App ID is a unique identifier for the associated application, and dash display name refers to the name with which it will be displayed in the Azure AD portal. You should not use new dash Azure AD service app role assignment. This PowerShell commandlet is used to assign application permissions. The commandlet assigns an app role from a resource service principal to a user, group, or another service principal. App roles assigned to service principles are also known as application permissions. In the given scenario, you need to create new, a new service principle for the Azure SQL Database application in the custom, customer tenant. You should not use new-AzureAD service principle key credential. This commandlet is used to create a key credential for a service principle in Azure AD. In the given scenario, you need to create a new service principle for the Azure SQL database application in the customer tenant. You should not use new Azure AD service principle password credential. This command let is used to create a password credential for a service principle in Azure AD. In the given scenario, you need to create a new service principle for the Azure SQL database application in the custom, customer tenant. One moment. I'm going to take a quick break. Just took a quick water break. We have a couple more questions, and then I'm going to finish this one up. Uh, I'm on question 46 out of 50. I'm taking multiple tests, and I will do another recording with more questions tomorrow. All right. Question. My dev DB is deployed on a SQL Server two thousand eight R two. <laughs> Who is using SQL Server two thousand eight R two, and why is it appear twice? All right, my bad. Just a quick tangent. I'm just some of these questions are just don't seem relevant to what I'm doing my day to day. But I'm gonna finish this test, get an A. Let's go get a seven hundred. That's why I need to pass. Okay. My dev DB is deployed on an Azure on, and SQL Server 2008 R2 on an Azure virtual machine. You want to collect both Windows Server OS and SQL Server performance metrics at various times during the day to establish a performance baseline. You want to store the metrics for later analysis. You need to collect the performance baseline information. All telemetry collection must be configured and managed via the Azure portal. What should you use? Answer, Azure Monitor. You know, I got this one right earlier, and when I see Azure Portal Azure Monitor, they seem to make sense. Let's read the explanation. You should use Azure Monitor. Azure, Azure Monitor is used to collect, analyze, and act on telemetry information to help you maximize the availability and performance of your application and services. Azure Monitor includes multiple built-in analysis tools. Azure Monitor supports all versions of SQL Server, and Windows Server OS. It can be managed via the Azure portal as well as API, PowerShell, and other mechanisms. You should not use Windows Performance Monitor. Windows Performance Monitor lets you collect performance metric data through performance counters. You can display current counter values and save performance information collected over time. Counters are provided for both Windows Server OS and SQL Server performance metrics. Windows Performance Monitor is managed by logging into the Windows Server VM rather than by using the Azure Portal as it is required in this scenario. Like I said at the beginning, that Azure Portal, you should not use SQL Insights. SQL Insights provides monitoring for all products in the Azure SQL family via dynamic management views. SQL Insights requires SQL Server 2012 or later. Thus, it would not work in this scenario. At the time of writing, SQL Insights is in public preview stage. You should not use Intelligent Insights. Intelligent Insights is designed to continuously monitor database usage through artificial intelligence and is supported for Azure SQL Database and Azure SQL Managed Instance only. This enables it to detect disruptive events that can lead to poor performance. It collects data for analysis, but not for use as a performance baseline that includes server statistics. Interesting question. Uh, Alright, you are planning to create a new table named orders in an on-premises SQL Server 2019 database with the following columns and data types. Bullet point 1, Order ID, Integer. Bullet point 2, Customer ID, Integer. Bullet point 3, Observation, and varkar 300. Bullet point 4, Created at, DateTime 2. You can use the Customer ID columns to determine the customer region based on a numeric range. The sales team uses the following convention when they are creating a new Customer ID. 1. 1 to... Tw- uh, 1 to... Sorry, 1 to 20,000, North America, 20,001 to 40,000, Europe, 40,001 to 60,000, Asia, 60,001 and greater, other regions. You plan to implement this table with partitioning based on the customer region. Each region should use an already created file group. Which SQL statement should you use? To answer, select the appropriate options from the drop-down menu. Answer. Create partition function customer region range integer as range left for values twenty thousand, comma, forty thousand, comma, sixty thousand colon. Create partition scheme, customer region partitions as partition customer region range to NAFG, comma, Europe FG, comma, Asia Fg, comma, other FG. Colon. Create table orders. Orders ID, integer, not null. Customer ID, integer, not null. Observation, and Varkar 300. Created that daytime too, not null. On. Customer region partitions, parentheses, customer ID. In the first query oh, sorry explanation in the first query you should create a partition function it is necessary to create the partition function to match the range convention used by the sales team which consists in the upper limit that divides each customer region with the range left clause you are ensuring that the boundary value is included at the left partition ie if the value is less than or equal to 20,000. In this scenario, you will have a total of 4 partitions, values that are less than or equal to 20,000, values that are between 20,001 and to 40,000, values between 40,001 to 60,000, values greater or equal to 60,001. In the second query, you should create a partition scheme to map the previous partition function to the existing file groups. You should configure the previously created partition function with the file group for each region. Finally, you should create the table using the partition scheme and define the previously created customer region partitions partition scheme based on the customer ID column to partition the table into different file groups based on the customer region. The key to that one, create partition function in our first query, create partition scheme in our second query, and then when we create our table we are saying on our partition scheme which was customer region partitions parentheses customer ID support data is a database hosted in the Azure SQL Database service. Your company wants to improve access security for support data by setting a range of IP addresses allowed for database access. You are directed to configure database-level firewall settings for the database. You need to determine how to configure the firewall settings. The management effort needed to accomplish this should be kept to a minimum. What should you use? Answer. SP underscore set underscore database underscore firewall underscore rule system stored procedure. Explanation. You should use the SP set database firewall rule system stored procedure. This stored procedure is used to configure database firewall settings for Azure SQL database for the master database and any user databases. You can create a firewall rule that defines a range of IP addresses with each entry consisting of a name, the starting IP address, and the ending IP address. You should not use the alter database command. Alter database is used to manage databases and the files and file groups associated with them. Alter database does not let you configure firewall rules for a database hosted in the Azure SQL database service. You should not use the Azure Portal GUI. Azure Portal GUI can be used to configure server-level firewall rules, but does not let you set database-level firewall rules. It is technically feasible to use the Cloud Shell feature within the Azure Portal to run stored procedures, including SP set database firewall rule. However, that would not represent a GUI approach. You should not use SQL Server Management Studio GUI. SSMS does not yet have a GUI for creating database-level firewall rules. You can apply database-level firewall rules using SSMS by creating and executing a SQL script containing SP set database firewall rules. However, that would not represent a GUI approach. Next question. You are tasked with creating an Azure SQL database named MyDB. The Azure SQL database must satisfy the following requirements. 1. The database should belong to the general purpose tier. 2. The SKU should have generation 4 compute components. 3. The SKU should be compromised of 2 vCores. You need to achieve the outcome using Azure command line interface. How should you complete the command? To answer select the appropriate options from the drop-down menu. Answer AZ DB create-g mygroup-s myserver-n mydb-e general purpose-f gen4-c Explanation You should complete the command as shown below just what I said. You should use the following options. Dash E, which denotes, which denotes the addition or tier of the SKU. Dash E can also be represented in Azure command line interface as dash dash addition or dash dash tier. The allowed values here are basic, standard, premium, general purpose, business critical, and hyperscale. Dash F, which denotes the family. Dash F can also be represented in the Azure command line as dash dash family. This represents the generation of the compute components of the SKU. It can use either generation 4 or generation 5 as its value. Dash C which denotes the capacity. Dash C can also be represented in Azure CLI as dash dash capacity This represents the capacity component of the SKU in integer numbers. The integer numbers can be database transaction units or vCores. You should not use dash F and dash C for general purpose. The correct value for the SKU addition or tier as described above is dash E. You should not use dash E and dash C for Gen 4. The correct value for the SKU family as described above is dash F. You should not use dash F and E2 or dash E for two. The two in the Azure command line interface is the number of V cores that the SKU will use for the compute capacity. I have one last one. Last question. You deploy an always-on availability group. A database named MyDB1 will be the primary replica for the availability group. MyDB1 is currently configured for the simple recovery model. You need to prepare a secondary database for the always-on availability group. What should you do? For each of the following statements, select yes if the statement is true, otherwise select no. The following statements are true. One. Create the secondary replica database with the same name as the primary database. The following statements are false. 1. Configure the primary replica for either the bulk logged or the full recovery model. 2. Use the recovery option when restoring to the secondary database. Explanation You should not configure the primary replica for the bulk logged recovery model. The bulk logged recovery model is not supported. You should configure it for the full recovery model only. After configuring the primary replica, you would need to run a full backup of the primary replica. If the primary database is online and active, and there is a delay after you configure the full recovery model before you run the full backup, You should also run a transaction log backup. You must create the secondary replica database with the same name as the primary database. It is assumed that the secondary database resides at the same path as the primary database, but on a different server. If the secondary database resides on a different path, you must include... The with move option when you restore to the secondary database you should not use the recovery option when restoring to the secondary database instead you must specify the no recovery option when restoring the full backup you must also specify the no recovery option if you have to restore a differential backup or any transaction log backups to the secondary database all right. That's, that's the end of that test. I will record my second test tomorrow.